Today's scripture reading is going to be taken from Acts 20, verses 32 through 35. And in the Pew Bibles, that's on page 988. Again, Acts 20, verses 32 through 35. So now, brethren, I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for, the, for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must, be, must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. It's a beautiful day on the outside and a beautiful day in here. The opportunity to worship God. If you're a guest, we're so thankful that you're here. You being here encourages us and we want to be an encouragement to you. We've had a wonderful weekend this past weekend and we're just still kind of coasting on that. It's, it's very good and we'll talk maybe a little more about that tonight. But uh, we also have a wonderful weekend coming up. Uh, Friday night, we have several fathers and sons that will be leaving to go on a retreat that will last throughout uh, Sunday afternoon. If you've not yet signed up for that, you can talk with Clint McCullough if you have more questions. And the sign-up sheet is at the Information Center, and it's always a wonderful time. Also, on Sunday will be We Are the Sermon Day, and we're going to talk about uh, that a little bit later on. We want to also remind you that just right on schedule, right on target. These plans have been made for for, uh, more than a year now, about 15 or 16 months. Uh, There have been various stages of the Recovery Through Christ program that, that we're going to be initiated and then other stages introduced later. And so we're at the stage now that, that really is a wonderful time for uh, you if you have interest in this but yet have not inquired in the past or if you want to tell someone else about it. And uh, this coming Friday, beginning at 7 o'clock, we'll begin our Friday night program of Recovery Through Christ that is always open at all times. You may not know this, but some of the step groups, they become closed and they work in a very confidential fashion. And so, uh, but there needs to be a time where individuals can be introduced and encouraged. And so now every Friday night, uh, beginning at seven o'clock, that's what that time period is for, is to encourage those who are struggling, uh, those who have hang-ups or, or bad habits that they want to work through uh, to God's glory, and those that want to simply learn more about the program. So be sure and mark that if it's for your benefit or mark it in your memory when you talk with individuals. You know, I probably tell individuals about this program at least once every week. Uh, I run into people and they start telling me things and I say, you know what you need? And I explain it to them. And so now, uh, Friday night is the time that we need to be giving those invitations. Friday night, 7 o'clock. I don't know if it's a true story, but, but if it is, it really reveals to us a beautiful heart that really is a part of what we're wanting to accomplish in our studies all month this month. A little girl <clears throat> was asked by our next door neighbor. Next door neighbor explained that she was going out of town and she asked the little girl, would you be willing to take care of our little dog? 
She said you'd have to feed it twice a day and, and you'd need to take it on a walk at least once, maybe twice a day. And we'd just love for you to just love our little dog while we're gone so the little dog won't miss us so much. And, and, and the lady said, and if you'll do that, what is it worth to you? And the little girl said, oh, I would love to do that. She said, I guess I'd pay you $5 if you'd let me do that. What would you pay? What would you give to get to serve Christ? To be considered a servant, a faithful, diligent servant of the Lord. What would you give? What would you give up? What would you sacrifice? What would you pay? You know, at the very heart of the gospel, of course, is Jesus Christ. And the very core of who Jesus is and who He calls us to be is servants. As a matter of fact, now I hope you, you, you notice that text in Acts the 20th chapter. It's beautiful. We're going to come back and listen to what one of the apostles, I want you to notice this link, what one of the apostles was teaching the elders that they were supposed to teach the church to do. But for just a moment, who taught the apostles? Let's back up for just a moment and see what Jesus taught. And, and we could do this looking at so many passages because over and over we're called to be servants. But look at Mark the 10th chapter. If you back up to Mark the 10th chapter, you remember this is the passage where James and John comes up and they ask Jesus about one being put on the right hand and one being put on the left hand side. And they have that discussion which leads Jesus to teach them that you don't understand the idea of what he is bringing about and introducing as servanthood. In other words, they had always understood that, that, that leadership and authority meant that you have people to serve you. And so now he's going to teach them that under uh, his church and he is going to redefine leadership to be that leaders are to be the greatest servants. And in, then, in this, he's also going to redefine, if you will, servanthood and esteem it to say it's one of the greatest marks that we could ever set to achieve in our mind. In other words, if somebody said more than anything, what would you want to be? How many of us would say, I want to be a servant? I want to serve other people. That's what I want to be so, so uh, deep in my heart, so, so real in what I'm striving to accomplish each day. And so he teaches this lesson to them after they have been concerned about being put in high positions on the right and the left hand. On verse 42, he tells them it's going to be different from what the Gentiles view in leadership and service. And in 43, he says to him in Mark 10, yet it shall not be so among you, but whosoever desires to become Great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Now, if you're going to say something that bold, you probably need something to back it up with. Now, notice these next line. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He says, listen, you want to be great? Be a servant. You want to put first things first and you want to be considered first? Become a slave to the people you like. Become a slave to a select few. Become a slave to all. Jesus, how could you ask us to do that? Because that's the very reason I came to this earth. I did not come to this earth and I think, 
He could have come as a very powerful earthly king. He could have been born in royalty. You know that he was God. He could have come to this earth and and simply presented himself only as a God to say, I want people to travel from all the continents around and I want them to bow down and and serve me. I want them to, to take care of every beckoning call. I want to be able to say what I want for all three meals each day and that just be provided. I want people to lift me and carry me wherever I go. I want people to provide the entertainment for me. I want people to revolve their lives all around me. And instead, the one who could have come to this earth in any form came to this earth as a servant and said, listen, I've come as a servant and I'm willing and will lay down my life for all of mankind. And now we've got two apostles saying, can we be up in high places of authority? He says, sure you can. You can be in high places of authority as long as you realize what you're saying. That means you're going to be a servant. That means you're going to be a slave to all. As a matter of fact, on the next slide, we see three, and these are just kind of random, but I just wanted to get our minds churning at the beginning of this month. And I I am not exaggerating when I say we could just pull out various passages that speak on servanthood, and we could just read the Bible solid for 30 minutes and not get close to being done this morning with all the passages that speak on servanthood. But let's have just a few examples here. Look what Jesus taught in Luke 6 and 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over... Uh, running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And when he's speaking to the wealthy in 1 Timothy 6 and 18, he says, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Hear that attitude? See that generosity? See how it's not supposed to be just... A heart in the sense that, oh, I would do this. He says, I want you to always be willing and ready to do it, but I want you to have already done it also. In other words, I want your life to be rich in good works. And then you don't stop there and say, oh, look at these great works that I've done. He says, once you've done the many good works, he says, now have a heart that's always willing to do more, willing to share more. Look for the word share in this next one. Hebrews 13 and 16. But do not forget to do good and to share for which with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. What's the emphasis all throughout the Bible? Servanthood, generosity, giving of yourself to serve others and to esteem them greater than yourself. Near the very beginning of the Bible, we see Abraham allowing his nephew Lot to live with him as a son. And when their flocks grew so much, do you remember how he... he, gave him the right to choose whichever area, direction that he wanted his sheep to graze. Remember, Lot took the better ground and he gave it to him. When we read of Boaz, his generous gift to purchase, it's a beautiful story of redemption, Ruth, because Ruth and Naomi were so desperate and he gave generously in order to provide for them. Or do you remember that story that the Bible never says he's the good Samaritan? It's just we can't read it without saying that. The Bible always just calls him the Samaritan. But do you remember? The priest, the Levite, that's the religious people. They saw the man that was robbed and and left dying. And they passed by on the other side. 
But you remember when the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion and he went and he bound up his wounds. He put him on his animal. He took him to an inn. He cared for him all night and he paid for the innkeeper to take care of him again. And you remember what Jesus' description is. I'd like to just quickly read for you what Jesus' description is of this. In, in Luke, the 10th chapter and 36, he says, So which of you, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Jesus tells this story and he says, okay, which one was neighbor? Isn't that interesting wording? Which one was neighbor? The, the priest that passed by, the Levite that passed by? Or was it the Samaritan? Everybody knew the answer to that. It was the one who generously served this stranger was the one who was neighbor. Friends, I think you see that from all these passages that we've read already this morning, that the church ought to be the best neighbor in the neighborhood. I'm not asking this from a negative perspective to say, oh, I, I, I think this would never happen. I'm simply bringing up something that I think we need to be aware of, we need to be prayerful about, and we need to give our life to this. Right now, would people up and down the road in this community, if they were asked, who's the best neighbor in this neighborhood? Would they say, I tell you what, it's the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Do you realize all the good they do for the people in this community? Do you realize how they are constantly serving others? And can they just start listing the weak, the poor, the hurting? Can they just start listing neighbors around that have been helped by individuals that make up this congregation and this congregation as a whole? You see, as we think about we are the servant day, what we want to do on this particular day is we want to make sure that we are the neighbor that God would expect us to be. You know, we've asked now for about two and a half years, what if the Mount Juliet congregation ceased to exist today? Would anyone notice or care from the community? I'd love to think that all of us would notice and care. It would be devastating to us. But what about the community? Would they notice if we were not here? Because what they should miss is the heart, the compassion, the generosity, and the works of the Lord. In other words, is the Lord alive in this community or not? Who are we? We are supposed to be the body of Christ. If Jesus Christ lived in this neighborhood, would people know that Jesus Christ was in this neighborhood? Well, the reality is Jesus Christ does live in this neighborhood. And we are His body. What kind of influence are we having upon Christ as His body? When we think about moving into service and being immersed into service... Hopefully this is something that we have plunged and we have surrounded our life with all of our life. But we definitely want to concentrate upon it this month and we want to make sure that we're being the generous people with our life and with our service that God would have us to be. When you go to Bible class in just a few minutes, you're going to 
uh, be introduced to a particular work that next Sunday, which is uh, we, are, we are the sermon day. Isn't that a neat thought? Their sermons are preached in a lot of different ways, and some of the most powerful sermons are those that are preached through actions. And so when you go to Bible class, you're going to see things like this list here on this next screen of things that we're going to be involved in. And one reason why I'm showing you this is if you're in a class that is doing something that is really not uh, best for you, whether it's ability or desire, just know that, that the only reason they're passed out according to Bible class is to, ha- is to have a structure and an organization to it. But there is, there is nothing about this where, where, where we're hoping that... that Nobody crosses over into air. We don't mind at all. We don't mind at all. We want you to help this community next Sunday where you want to help. Our goal is to have several hundred uh, in the community doing good for the community. And hopefully it'd be, if there's a thousand of us here today, hopefully there'd be about a thousand going out next week and spending anywhere from an hour or two to three or four hours. And we will have uh, hundreds, if not thousands of hours of, of work that's done all in the name of the Lord. Uh, definitely the places that we help, they're very much aware that Jesus is alive and doing well in this community. And we simply want to give him the glory for all. That brings us now, we've talked about, we've talked about Jesus preparing the apostles. And now in the text that we have read just a few moments ago, we have the apostles Paul, in particular here, working with the elders, encouraging them to go back and to work with the people. Well, what is the message? Toward the end of this time that he spends with the elders of Ephesus in Acts, the 20th chapter, I'd like for you to notice again, verse 32. Notice in 32, he says, So now, brethren, notice this, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. What does the word commend mean? When you do a study on that, the root of commend means to deposit or to place alongside or along with. Here is Paul saying to the elders, what I've tried to do, keep in mind, he lived three years there at Ephesus. So he's talking with people that he's worked with directly. And he says, in my life, when I was living among you, what I constantly tried to do was I tried to deposit your life into God and into his word. You see, when we think about being a servant, we must make sure we get first things first. First and foremost, it isn't about just being a civic group that goes out and does good things. We want to make sure that we are a servant of God. In other words, has your life been deposited into God? Well, how do you deposit a life into God? Let's listen to how this same man taught about depositing your life in God at another occasion. Go over with me, if you would, to Colossians, the third chapter. In Colossians, the third chapter, in in the second chapter, he talked about baptism. And now in the third chapter, he begins in verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Now, you know, when he says, if you are raised with Christ, that's talking about coming out of the waters of baptism. In other words, you went in, you were lost, sin was separating you. There, the Lord forgave you of your sins. Now you've been raised with Christ. Now sin is no longer separating you from Christ. And so if you've been raised with Christ, we're going to sit there with the Lord and look in verse two, we're going to set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And verse three, for you died. In other words, there's going to be drastic change. 
There was crucifixion back here of the old self. That is repentance. And, and so that, that person is dead. And notice as we continue to read here, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you get that? Paul said, when you were baptized, you were with Christ in God. And now he's talking to those of Ephesus and he says, I want to commend you to God. I want you to place your life in God. In other words, this is major commitment. We're not just talking about an act of baptism, although that's as important as God makes it. I'm simply reminding you that when we do these things, we are committing our life to God. In other words, we're saying, I turn away from the old self. I want to be saved. I want to commit my life to you. I want to place my life in God. Now, I love this next phrase. Look at four. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Can you say that? Is your life deposited in God so much that you can say, Christ, who is my life? Not only are we to be commended to God, but we're also to be commended to his word. Not that there's a major difference in that, but those are the two things that Paul mentions here, being commended to God and to his word. I'd like for you to think about this word that we're commended to in Acts the 20th chapter, back to our text. In Acts the 20th chapter, if you have your Bible open, look back up in verse 27. There are several times he makes references to what he preached while he was there. This is just one example. Paul says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul, let's get this straight. You're a servant of God and you want people to be servants of God. What do you do to get people to be servants of God? I understand their life has to be all about being in God and in His Word. You remember when Paul wrote to Timothy who was working at Ephesus? He told him to preach the gospel. Be instant in season and out of season. Why? He knew he wanted to get people into the Word. When he spoke to those people at Corinth in 1 Corinthians there on the slide, the second chapter in verse 1 and verse 2, and really that whole chapter, he is reminding them that he did not come in with the wisdom of man, but he came in with the wisdom of God to give them the word of God. What does this mean? This means that when the word of God is translated into individuals and into their life, it makes a huge difference. We're going to have to make this next point, if you will, be turning to 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, and we'll look at verse 5. 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. And I don't know, maybe this month we can come back and look at this more in depth. This is really a powerful passage, but if you're kind of borderline out there daydreaming right now, you may not get this, but if you're really focused in, you're going to read this and say, wow, that is amazing. How powerful is God's Word? Is that really the only sermon that's ever preached? no. When God's word is in lives, their actions preach sermons. And that's literally what Paul was complimenting the people of Thessalonica for. And we don't have time to develop all this, but read carefully. Look in verse 5. Paul is, of course, this is the beginning of the chapter. He's greeting them. He's praising them for the things they're doing right. And he says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. 
but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now, no doubt, a part of what he's talking about that when he came in power, they could perform miracles. And so they could speak a message from God and then they could perform a miracle to prove it was from God. So it came with great power. But also, if we had time to really develop this in Acts, the 20th chapter, the chapter we're working out of this morning, he begins by talking about, you know, what kind of life I lived among you. In other words, what's always important to anybody that's God's person is that their life speaks the same message that God's message speaks. Listen, if I tell you that I'm a preacher of the gospel and I live a life that's contrary to the preaching of the gospel, something is sorely amiss. If you say that you're a child of God, you're a Christian, you're saying you live your life by the gospel, but yet if you go out and don't live your life by a gospel, something is sorely amiss. And so notice what he says here in 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. In other words, they were being persecuted when they received it. With joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia. Do you notice that? They followed Paul and now... and. And now he's saying there's others that now they've become an example and there's others following them. For example, this in verse 8. For from you, the word of the Lord was sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. What a sermon. We had concern about this area of the country and now we know that your faith has sounded out so strong that now we don't have to go out and preach anymore. Now you know Paul wasn't cashing it in. Paul wasn't saying, I'm not preaching it. He is just stating, look at the sermon your faith has just preached. So if we're going to be the servants God wants us to be, we have to be commended to him and to his word. But in the last couple of minutes that we have here, I'd like to take you back again to verse 33 of Acts, the 20th chapter. Notice what he sets this in opposition to. Remember in 32 is where he says, I commend you to God and to his word. And now in 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Do what? Why are you doing this? Because that's always been man's struggle. When man will allow the Almighty God to be their God, they're generous, they're servants, they get involved in things. But whenever man allows money and material things and pride to become their God, all of a sudden they're not generous anymore. They become selfish and they don't have time to help other people and they don't see why you would help them. They're not worth it and make all kinds of excuses. In other words, it's either God or money. It's God or covetousness. It's God or greed. It's God or selfishness. Look in Matthew, the sixth chapter and verse 24. You know where Paul learned this. He learned it from his master. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon, some of your translations may even say money. Mammon here is literally the personification of, of wealth and greed. And so he's saying, if, if your idea is you want to serve money, okay, you can't serve God. Now notice this third point. 
So we've looked at being a servant of God, not a servant of money. So that would make us a giving servant. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, keep in mind, Paul's talking to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20. That's our text. And so later he writes to this same church. And you know what he reminds them? It's the very same kind of teaching that he was giving them here. And look in 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. You see, covetousness and greed would promote stealing. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him, what if we were serving the Lord? Let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Work, have, give. Listen, if I really want to be a servant of God, I have to realize that I'm going to have to work, have, and give. I cannot give what I do not have, and I cannot have what I have not worked in order to achieve. That is where we find the servant's heart of our Lord. Do you remember before the first sin ever took place? Do you remember on the seventh day what the Lord Lord ceased from? Remember in Genesis 2 and 2? God ceased from His work. Work's beautiful. Work's a blessing. Work is a good thing. We have a God who works. And He asks His people to work. And that's what servants are. Servants are people that will roll up their hands and they'll work when people out in the world say, I wouldn't help those people for anything. You're really going to do that? They're not worth it. Why would you give so much time to do that? Why would you give money to do that? Why would you work like that? Well, see, people that are covetous, work is bad unless it's for their own good. People who are generous realize work is a wonderful means to provide, to give to those who have need. And so we go back now and we finish up with this beautiful example, Acts 20. Paul says about not coveting silver or gold. He talks in 34 how he's worked hard to provide not only for his necessities, but also for others. And then in 35, he says, I'm an example of this. He says, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. That's the feeble that's, that's the ones that simply are not strong, they're sick, they're young, they're weak. Support the weak. And notice this, a quote, if you have a red letter Bible, you're going to see that this is in red because this is a quote from Jesus that wasn't in any of the Gospels. And it is, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that's interesting. Paul lays out this teaching and he says, by the way, I'm an example of this, but by the way, also, number two, it's what our Lord taught us. What did He teach us, Paul? Remember, He taught us it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, don't be foolish here. It is, it is very blessed whenever we do receive. He didn't say it's only blessed when we give. It's a real blessing to receive. I'm sure many of you can think back in your life, times in your life, where someone did something for you and it was just at the time 
you needed it. And it probably still touches you today that they were able and willing to give to you at that time. I think back to when Tracy and I first moved to to Gadsden, Alabama. And the elders hired us saying, we'd love to pay you enough to live on, but we don't have that much. If this church will grow, we'll give you a raise, but right now, this is all we can pay. And we said, we'll try it. And fortunately, in our long two years of marriage, we'd saved some money. And we moved there. And we could only afford one car. We didn't buy any new clothes for over a year. We didn't buy anything for a year except food deep. Try to keep diapers on the baby. During that time, at the end of every month, we'd pull money out of the savings. We knew it wasn't going to last forever. And I think about those times that whenever it would be Thanksgiving and we would be getting ready to, to go visit our folks, knowing that it was going to be difficult just to buy the gas money. And I think about an older fellow that he wore clothes that were 25 years out of date. He drove an old car. And he would come up to me and he'd say, you going home over Thanksgiving? I said, yeah. He'd shake my hand with both hands. And he'd have $25 or $35 in his hand. He'd say, maybe this will help you on some gas money. I think of one time that we had both of our babies sick over and over. I remember him shaking my hand one time with a $50 bill in it. And I remember him saying, those doctors are expensive. Hope this will help you a little bit. Brethren, it's a blessing to receive. It's a big blessing to receive. But according to our Lord, it's even more blessed to give. That's just how good it is. It's even more blessed to give. Look at your life. Look at your opportunities. And look at your means. And make sure that you're willing to generously serve and give God all the glory. This morning we'll extend an invitation by simply asking, are you a servant of God? We've already studied what it takes to become a servant of God. If you're not, we'd love to assist you in that. Maybe, maybe you have been a servant of God and you've left God. You want to renew it. You want to rededicate. You want to commit, commend your life back to God. We'd love to pray with you and for you. If there's any way that we can help you, come as we stand, as we sing.